You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. Really, this is my voice with a cold. This is Ancient History Fangirl, the uh, deep, dark, and mysterious edition. (laughs) The sultry edition. So this week, we thought we'd do something a little bit different and bring you three entries from our audiobook version of Women of Myth. The audiobook is available for pre-order, and we recorded it ourselves along with Liv from Myths Baby. We were so thrilled to get to record our own audiobook. It was such a surreal experience. Like, first off, getting to write this book was so amazing, but I never thought in a million years that I would get to record it. Like, it was just next level to be like, wow. I'm actually recording the book that I wrote for people to listen to. It's going to exist as a thing. It's really like kind of a a natural outgrowth of what we do already on the podcast. And and I have done voiceover before in a previous life, but I had never never recorded a whole audio book before. So that was really fun to do. We really hope you guys like it. And um, yeah, it was just a thrill to both of us to get to do that. Yeah, it was a very different process because recording the audiobook for us, or at least for me, was very solitary. You know, like occasionally Jenny would pop on the line and just listen to make sure I didn't egregiously make mistakes because it was a bit tricky with my um, my dyslexia. Sometimes I would just jump around a bit and she was there to spot me for some of the more tricky entries. But otherwise, it was just me reading into a microphone. And that is so the antithesis of like what our podcast is. It was just very different and surreal. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, every so often we would kind of spot each other, but it is true that it's real different because this is a a joint project when we're doing it for the podcast. So we decided to give you guys a sneak peek and we picked three entries to share, uh, Kiyohime, Dear Woman, and Arawello. We really hope you enjoy this episode and um, check out the ebook. It's available. Follow the links in our various social. You'll find a link tree where you can you can buy the book in all its various forms. And um, we really hope that you enjoy it. Yeah, thanks so much for listening and enjoy your little sneak peek. Japanese fire-breathing snake demon. Appearance. Physical descriptions are very limited, but she is always described as a young woman. Sometimes she is unmarried, and sometimes she is a young widow. 
Symbols Snakes and Dragons Kiyohime began her life as a human and then turned into a giant snake or fire-breathing dragon, depending on the version and translation. Overview Kiyohime is one of the most famous demons in Japanese literature. She is an example of a Honari Hanya, a demon woman who has transformed into the strongest and most feared demon of all. But Kiyohime, much like other Hanya, or demon women, did not begin her life as a monster. Hanya are a type of yokai, or demon, in Japanese mythology that stem from human emotions. Many were once women whose hearts were broken by men, and who were then consumed by intense rage, jealousy, or grief. Eventually, these women became Hanya, vicious monsters intent on seeking revenge. But the process did not occur overnight. It took a long time as the woman was eroded by her negative emotions. There are three types of Hanya. The least powerful have the potential to one day regain their humanity. The second least powerful can also become human again, but only with the help of a Buddhist monk. The Honari Hanya, the most powerful of the three, has completed her transformation, usually into the form of a snake or dragon, and she is beyond intervention. She will remain a demon until she dies. What's her story? The earliest mentions of Kiyohime occur in two collections of Japanese legends, the Dainihonkoku Hokyakyo Kenki, which was written in AD 1040, and the Konjaku Monogatarishu, compiled in AD 1120. There are many different versions of this tale. In one version, Kiyohime was a young girl who lived with her family in a prosperous manor house located on the pilgrimage route to a Shugendo shrine. Kiyohime's family opened their doors to the monks who passed through, making their annual pilgrimage. One day, they took in a handsome young monk named Anchen. Kiyohime was a high-energy kid who was constantly getting into trouble, and the minute she laid eyes on the handsome monk, she developed a passionate crush on him. Anchen promised Kiyohime that if she behaved for her parents, then maybe he'd return to marry her when she was old enough. Kiyohime held on to that promise. For years, she was on her best behavior, and she pined for the handsome monk, hoping every year that he'd stop at their home while on his pilgrimage. But he never did. He found other places to stay each time. When Anchen finally stopped at their home on his pilgrimage, he saw that she had come of age. She was now a beautiful woman. She reminded him of his promise to marry her. But instead of falling at her feet, Anchen was mortified. He told her that he was just teasing her and trying to help her parents get her to behave. Kiyohime was shattered by his rejection. On his way back from the pilgrimage, Anchen decided to take the long way around and avoid Kiyohime and her family's manor house. Kiyohime found out and was devastated. So she decided to leave home and track him down. Realizing that he was being chased, Anshin ran to the river, seeking to cross to the temple on the other side and ask for sanctuary. He managed to cross and then begged the ferryman not to go back and pick up Kiyohime. He knew she was following close behind. But Kiyohime didn't need any help crossing the river. 
Her hurt and anger and rejection had transformed her into a Honari Hanya, the most feared and powerful of demons. Normally these transformations took years, but this happened in minutes due to the ferocity of her pain. As she chased after him, barefoot, she started to shed her body and become a giant, fire-breathing serpent, terrifying to behold. She swam across the river, undaunted by the swift currents. Meanwhile, Anchin only just beat her to the temple, where he begged the priests for sanctuary. They hid him in a large bronze bancho bell, thinking he would be safe there. But as soon as she arrived at the temple, Kiyohime caught Anchin's scent and tracked him to the bell. She wrapped herself around it and breathed fire on it, boiling Anchin alive as the bell melted around him. After she killed Anchin, she was so distraught that she drowned herself in the river. There is a slightly happier postscript to this story. After his death, Anchin visited the dream of an elderly priest at the temple where he was murdered. Taking the form of a serpent, he told the priest that in this new life, he was now also a serpent, but he was not at peace. Kiyohime had followed him into this life as well. He begged the priest to perform a ceremony so that they could both be freed to reincarnate into different planes and lives. The priest did as Anchin asked, and both Anchin and Kiyohime finally found peace. Kiyohime in No Theater The stories of Kiyohime and Hanya are portrayed often in No Theater. No theater is the oldest form of traditional Japanese theater still practiced today. It dates from around the 14th century, and it is still performed more or less unchanged from its original form. No theater often portrays a main character experiencing a single intense emotion, building the emotion through dance, gesture, music, and in poetic recitation to reach an emotional climax. Many no plays end with a ghostly return to a significant place in the character's life, such as a battlefield or the setting of a passionate encounter. Special masks, fittingly called Hanya masks, were created to tell the story of Hanya demons in no theater. They express the character's pain, rage, and despair as she transforms from a woman into a demon. The masks are carved from Japanese cypress and are beautifully painted and covered with a lacquer that can reflect light to subtly change the emotion being evoked. The masks tend to have a similar look, a square jaw, horns, a large, sad smile that could be mistaken for a grimace, and shaggy black hair that represents madness. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. 
What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Dear woman, shapeshifter and protective spirit of indigenous women. Appearance. Dear woman is a shapeshifter. She can appear as a beautiful woman with the hooves of a deer, an old woman, a white-tailed deer, or a woman from the waist up with the lower half of a deer. Symbols. Deer. Deer woman is associated with white and black-tailed deer. Overview Deer Woman appears in the stories of many different indigenous peoples of North America, including the Lakota, Seminole, Pawnee, Ocheti, Shakoin, Ojibwe, Ponca, Omaha, Cherokee, Muscogee, Oto, Iroquois, and Choctaw. According to some stories, she is a deer spirit associated with love, fertility, and the protection of women and children. To men who respect women and children, she is a benevolent force, but to those who harm them, she is a vengeful spirit. Dear woman often appears as a beautiful woman wearing a very long dress, and she tempts unfaithful men into the woods. How and where she targets these men can vary. Sometimes she will find them by the road, at communal dances, or at communal events. Once Deer Woman has selected her target, she lures him away into the woods and then either tramples him to death with her hoofed feet or enchants him, so he wastes away from his love for her. In popular culture, you can see the story of Deer Woman in the TV show Reservation Dogs. This modern interpretation of Deer Woman adds to the cultural canon of stories about her, and shows how her myth has moved into the zeitgeist of 21st century indigenous culture. What's her story? Dear woman's origins vary greatly. According to some stories, she is a fertility spirit who looks after women during childbirth and promotes harmony and faithfulness in marriages. Some stories say that when you see dear woman, you are about to undergo a personal transformation. Others say that Deer Woman appears as a warning. Most legends say that she is a spirit who watches over women and children and punishes unfaithful and dangerous men. According to some stories, Deer Woman was once a human woman who was raped and murdered, and she transformed into Deer Woman after her death to seek vengeance on men who prey on women. 
Dear woman can be seen at communal rites and dances. She loves to dance. She wears a very long dress to hide her cloven feet and is enchantingly beautiful. She finds her prey throughout the course of the evening and dances with him, talks to him, flirts with him. It all seems very normal. At the end of the evening, she tempts him to follow her into the woods where he meets his grisly end. Dear woman particularly targets young men, single or married. Dear woman is not a monster in the traditional sense. While she does some monstrous things, she does them for the protection of her community and her people. She does not feed on the souls or blood of the men she murders. Rather, she can be seen as protecting women and the community from men who are unfaithful or predatory. Good men have nothing to fear from her. While there is a tendency in some non-indigenous Western sources to draw comparisons between deer woman and monsters like the sirens or succubi, these comparisons are superficial. Deer woman's methods and reasons for her actions are very different from those of these monsters. Sirens and succubi feed off of men, any men, using their blood and bodies for sustenance. They are indiscriminate killers. Dear woman is more of a protective spirit, targeting men who cheat on or abuse women and children. Her purpose is to keep women and children safe from men who would treat them badly. Dear woman has served as a cautionary tale to young men to beware of who they go home with. She is also a warning to men and women against promiscuity. Violence against indigenous women is still a serious problem. As a protective spirit who looks out for indigenous women, dear woman is still very relevant today. Indigenous women are more than twice as likely to experience violence in their lifetime as any other minority in North America. According to multiple sources, one in three indigenous women is likely to experience sexual assault and 67% of these assaults will be committed by non-Indigenous people. They are also more likely to be victims of sex trafficking or murder, and these crimes often go unsolved. In 2021, the Biden administration created the Missing and Murdered Unit to help investigate crimes against Indigenous women. It is important to shed light on this violence and support the organizations that are working to help. Arawello, legendary Somali queen who smashed the patriarchy. Appearance Legend says that Arawello was beautiful, but there are a few specific details about what she looked like. Overview Arawello is a legendary Somali queen who defied traditional gender roles and overturned the patriarchy in her realm, installing women in positions of societal power and assigning men to the roles of home life and child rearing. Arawello is a popular folk heroine in Somali culture, but it's unclear when or if she really existed. However, the legend says that she grew up in a strongly patriarchal, feudal society and that she witnessed many injustices against women before she became queen herself. 
She also grew up watching the men around her start wars with no concern for the death toll. When she became queen, she appointed women to positions of power in her own government as part of a strategy for ensuring a peaceful reign. Some versions of her story state that she actively oppressed men and encouraged others to do the same, training women to lash out aggressively against the men in their families and ordering the castration of any men who disobeyed her laws. These legends may have arisen after Aruello's death to demonize female leaders and justify reinstatement of patriarchal control. Today, Aruello is a popular name for Somali girls, it's also sometimes used as a nickname for confident girls and women with leadership qualities. What's her story? Aruela was born into a royal family without sons. As the eldest of three daughters, she was next in line for the throne. Aruela demonstrated leadership qualities and a penchant for utterly ignoring traditional gender roles long before she became queen. During a period of profound drought, she assembled a team of women to hunt and gather water to keep their town supplied and prevent a mass migration. These were traditionally men's activities, but Aruello ignored any naysayers who insisted she couldn't hunt and find water as a woman. She and her friends just kept out hunting the guys and proving the haters wrong. Eventually, Aruello's father died and she inherited the throne. She also got married. Her husband tried to get Aruello to embrace her expected duties as a woman, pressuring her to focus on raising kids and tending the home, and urging her to leave the hard work of ruling the country to him. Aruello refused. She didn't believe women should restrict themselves to child-rearing in the home, even though that was what everyone expected. In defiance of her husband, Aruello put out a call for all women in her kingdom to essentially go on strike to abandon all childcare and homemaking and start taking power outside the home. Eventually, men were forced to take a larger role in child-rearing and domestic duties because the women in Aruello's kingdom rejected these roles. But Aruello didn't stop there. She embarked on a project to transform her country into an entirely matriarchal one, where women were the primary breadwinners and leaders outside the home. A keen observer of human nature, Aruello noticed that men were usually the instigators in war. Men started wars, men continued wars, and men made wars worse. She believed women were much more level-headed, were better rulers, and were more effective diplomats. Thus, she fired all her generals, diplomats, and politicians who were men, and appointed women in positions of power. Aruello implemented other reforms, too such as making sure girls in her kingdom got the same education as boys. Sometimes, Aruello is depicted as not just being committed to gender equality, but as actively oppressing men. In one version of her story, she trained women to inflict violence on the men in their lives and even ordered the widespread castration of men in her kingdom so they wouldn't reproduce. Other legends say that she used to hang rapists by their testicles. Another version of the myth states that Aruello didn't commit targeted violence against men, but that she allowed these rumors to spread so that men would think twice about disobeying her laws, specifically laws about violent aggression and instigating wars. This was one way she maintained peace in her kingdom. It's not clear how Queen Aruello died. 
One story says that she was murdered by a grandson who wanted to reinstate patriarchal control over women. Another says that she was assassinated while attending the funeral of a friend. It's not certain when she lived, how she died, or even whether she existed at all. However, Aruelo's legend lives on in the strong Somali women who bear her name. Where was Aruelo's kingdom? There is little evidence that Aruelo was a real historical figure. However, her kingdom is often said to have been located in the Sanag region of northeastern Somalia. Some accounts suggest a date of around AD 15 for her reign, making her story more than 2,000 years old. There is a large stone tumulus in the Sanag region that is associated with Aruelo in folklore. According to legend, the tumulus is her grave and all that remains of her ancient realm. Other legends suggest that she was a queen of the Harla people. The Harla lived throughout the Horn of Africa and established their own state, the Harla Kingdom, around the 6th century AD. The Harla Kingdom was quite advanced with extensive trade contacts and its own calendar and currency. Many ruins from its culture, including mosques, houses, cave paintings, monuments, tumuli, and necropolises, can still be seen today in Djibouti, Somalia, and Ethiopia.